Welcome to A Photographer's Life. The channel that takes you behind the curtain into the world of professional architectural photography. Join us now for an episode with one of America's premier architectural photographers. Today's broadcast comes from a recent interview with American architectural photographer Jack Ziggin. Today's interview was conducted by AIAP director Alan Blakely. We hope you enjoy the show. If you do, please let us know by liking this episode and subscribing to this channel. Now, on with the show. Welcome everybody and uh, glad to have you here. Um, want to welcome you to this uh, Zoom meeting and glad you could take the time. There were a lot of people that were interested in being on this call, but thankfully they're all busy. So <laughs> the business is doing well for everyone. And the, the topic that we touched on last meeting about artistic vision, I got enough email and then in conversation with Jack during his interview, um, we thought it would be worthwhile to uh, to take another session and talk about artistic vision in, in architectural photography. And, you know, Jack kind of framed it in the, the notion of uh, what, what is the story that we're trying to tell? And that was a question that he asked his clients. And I thought that was pretty brilliant. I've never had that conversation with a client at the outset of a project. And um, so we wanted to kind of jump into that and just see how we do what we do and what makes us different from other photographers and differentiates us and lets us charge way more than real estate photographers with regard to <laughs> the work that we do. Um, hopefully we all charge away more, but um, um, so starting out, I'm just, uh, Jack, if you wouldn't mind, I'm just, I kind of wanted to just maybe go back over that conversation of, of what the story is we're trying to tell and, and how that works for you in, in setting up a project and, and beginning that process with a client. Would you mind sharing just a little bit about your process? Sure. Whenever I get a call about a, a project, one, that's one of the questions I ask early on. And, and certainly once we're scouting, it's an important question. Um, an example to make it concrete was a, uh, I was shooting a wind tunnel for uh, an architect at a, at a university nearby. And I said, well, what's the story we're trying to tell? And they said, well, it's that, we do work with huge pieces of scientific gear in very small spaces. And, and looking around, that caused me to frame a shot that showed how close to the wall this piece of equipment was and actually fly a drone inside to show how it looked from above and how tight it was, as well as you know, putting people in the shot for scale. Um, I wouldn't have suggested people necessarily, and I certainly wouldn't have taken the shot showing how close to the wall um, you know, it was. So knowing the story that they were trying to tell to get additional business, and that's the other question I'll ask is, what's unique about this that's going to help you land new business that you're trying to land in the future? Um, you know, gave me insight that affected one composition and, and whether or not I actually shoot with a drone indoors. Thanks. I, I, I appreciate that. That that was really revealing to me because I've not really ever had that point in a discussion with a client. And more often than not, I show up at a location, have I only spoken with the client either over the telephone or via email, and having only seen the project in um, iPhone shots and, uh, you know, perhaps a floor plan if I'm lucky. And so um, having some kind of of objective in mind 
would certainly inform the kind of shots that I want to take. Um, and any thoughts on that from anybody else's working perspective as to how you, how you approach your projects at the outset that uh, maybe gives you a little bit more to go on? I work, you know, primarily, uh, you know, within the Connecticut um, geographical area, although I travel, you know, New York and wherever. Um, but if it's, uh, you know, within driving distance, I always try and do a scout visit and with architects especially. And I like to um, spend some time going through the project and understand their vision and what they want to emphasize and what they don't want to emphasize in terms of the way it physically turned out. And I typically don't charge for the, the scouting visit. I shoot some pictures and it's a great tool for me. It's a chance to kind of build a relationship and a rapport with the architect if I haven't gotten to know them very well or have never met them. Uh, because sometimes I get referrals that come, you know, email or phone calls or whatever. And this is the first chance I have to see somebody in person. So it doesn't always happen, but I, I really like it when it does. And when the project is big enough to justify that kind of time and, uh, and, uh, you know, the investment, uh, but generally they do. And so just the other day or a few weeks ago, um, scouted a bank, um, it's kind of a similar project I had done with this architect in the past, but he wanted to go see it, walk through it and point out all the specific things that he wanted to emphasize and also the kind of the, the look that he was going for. And so, you know, that makes my job so easy because then it's just a matter of giving him exactly what he asked for. Uh, other times it's, you know, it's incumbent on us to uh, find the best angles and to uh, produce the shots and do our job, really what they're paying us for, whether it's with people or without or all of these other things, what tools we're going to use, whether we're using drones or high stands or et cetera. So it's kind of a case of having the dialogue with the, uh, the architect or if it might be a high-end builder or another client like that, uh, initially to understand either by phone or email to understand what they're looking for. And if you can, um, I like to, you know, again, scout in person with them or one of their representatives. Sometimes they even send a representative day of the shoot so they can just sign off on everything as we go along. Most, most of the time they just say, we trust you, you know, go do your thing and, and you go from there. So all of those allow me to, uh, you know, kind of understand exactly what the story is they're trying to tell. And it just makes it so much easier. Uh, day of the shoot because I have a clear idea of what their vision is. Carl, day of the shoot, do you take photos with like your iPhone to sort of document the shot list? Do it two different ways. One is if we're if I have never been to the location because it's too far away or we're not allowed to get there ahead of time, then I do a walkthrough with somebody if I can and use the iPhone. Uh, you know, the 12 is great because you've got a wide angle lens and, and et cetera, and just document each kind of view as we go along. I also do that when we're actually doing the scout um, previous, either with uh, 16 to 35 on my 5D or else with an iPhone. So I have a reference. And then it, it might be weeks or months later if, you know, you scout it in March. And uh, as I did, you know, the Wednesday, uh, actually shot the job. I know exactly what, what the problems are, what I need to bring for styling and, and other propping, and also... Um, have a clear idea of what the shot list is. And so I'll actually prepare that, um, you know, ahead of time, or if it's the day of the shoot, just flip through the, uh, my photos on the iPhone, you go, you know, got that one check, got that one, got that one. Cause you know, you're moving so quickly. You were trying to think about 
where the light is, where the sun is, what the problems are. And it's great to have a visual reference. You know, notes are good too, but you know, for photographers, a, a picture's worth a thousand words. Let me ask the question is about how flexible are you? Because um, often I, I get the impression that an architect or a designer, if they haven't worked with a photographer much, or if they haven't worked with a good photographer ever, that they, they kind of want to dictate a shot list and tell you where the shot is from and, and what it is and, on, and all that kind of stuff. And to me, that, that defeats the purpose of me being there at all. Um, you, know, I, you might as well hire somebody with a 17 millimeter lens and just walk them around. And so I'm just wondering what your flexibility, for, you know, openness to everybody. Yeah. At what point do you can say, I, can no, I respond that's not to a that? Good shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I don't have an issue with, I see it as a collaborative team and I tell them that up front. And so I'm open to all their ideas and, and, and they're, you know, if they want to give me a, a floor plan with specific angles on it, great. But if I get there and they're not there and I feel like the shot just doesn't work, I'll let them know either in real time or I'll just tell them after the fact, hey, you know, I know you wanted that angle. It just didn't work. Or here's another angle. So, you know, the way RIT taught us back back in the day was get all the shots your client asked for and then add a few extras, you know, that are your vision. If you see something that's really important, you can all, almost always sell them those those extra angles and shots. But I don't have an issue with being dictated the angle or, or whatever, because for me, it's not about, and no offense, but it's not about my ego or what I want to do. It's about what does a client need? What, you know, what works for them and whatever it takes, you know, as long as it's not illegal, immoral or unethical, I'm willing to do it <laughs> or dangerous. Yeah, I, <laughs> oh, go ahead. Uh, I'm done. I was just going to chime in. I, I think I kind of would, uh, follow up with that. And, and I look at it as an opportunity. Um, if a client says, oh, the, you know, this is the angle. And you may look at it and go, yeah, that's a viable angle. Or if you if you know it's not, <laughs> it's a great opportunity to educate the client on why they hired you. And if you can show them like on an iPad or in, you know, on proofs, like this is what you asked me, this is what I saw. Um, I think you do that successfully. They they don't ask you again. <laughs> they they it builds immediate trust that you know what you're doing, and we're hiring you because of your technical ability and creative ability. Um, so anytime something like that comes up, I I welcome it as an opportunity. I think one of the biggest things we have to do nowadays, more than ever, is educate our clients. Um, so when they propose something like that, it's a it's a great opportunity to educate them. And, and going back to the initial question of, you know, what's the story? If, if they do tell me this is an angle they want, I'll ask the question, well, what are you trying to achieve with this? What, what, what were you trying to show? And then I might suggest a, a composition that does a better job of what they were trying to do. Um, I, I shot a couple of days ago. I, they wanted this, these uh, work from home pods shot. And they said, no, I wanted grander. And it was, okay, switch from horizontal to vertical and show the fact that there's a 20-foot ceiling above this. And, uh, and, and they went, yeah, that's what we wanted. But they, didn't, they knew the angle, but they didn't realize the height. Um, and I could come back with, well, if that's the story, then you know, here's a way that I think will we'll capture what you're trying to tell. 
A lot of times I get clients who want me to match a rendering because in their own marketing, they like to say, well, this is what we proposed and then this is how it actually ended up. And so I don't have a problem with that, but but that's where I agree that scouting is really valuable because on the scouting, I can you know, snap the angles that they want, but then I think my job is to look for other angles that might be more interesting or different crops. I don't know if you guys run into this, but to me, architects always want like, oh, we want it really wide, let's show it all. And to me, the more you show, the less you see. And so I, you know, I think my job in the scout is to to use my creativity and shoot those other angles that might be vertical instead of horizontal or tighter or a different angle. And I'm always really pleased when after they go through the scouting and, and narrow down the shot list when they've picked some of those angles and they haven't just picked some stuff that matches their rendering. So, but I can understand from their marketing standpoint that this was the rendering, this is the final product, is is good for pitching the next client down the road. So I don't, I don't have a problem doing that. It's just uh, it's just trying to get some other more creative angles to also tell the story. Yeah, I've actually, um, I've kind of had an opposite experience. I've pr Probably my most educated clients are the ones that will have those angles, um, but they also kind of give the latitude to collaborate, right? Like they do understand like, you know, you can find some better views or, or whatever. Um, the other thing that I would say is like like a lot of my like newer clients, they have no idea. Like they don't have a shot list. They don't have like any of those things. And sometimes you just kind of have to guide them and say, okay, what is that? You know, what's your story? What is our, the things that you're trying to achieve? So like my tact is always, I, I try to have any little bit of information, no matter how inconsequential it may be, you know, whether it's plans, site visits, just talking with the architect or whatever, like any little, any little bit I can. Do you ever push back? Is there anybody that ever pushes back and says, that's a really bad idea. Let's not do that. Yeah. I, I push back. I say, you know, I don't, I see what you're trying to do here. Here's your angle. Here's my idea. And I don't know, 82% of the time they go, Oh yeah, we see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah I mean, if, if their angle sucks, you can't just tell them it, it's wrong. You got to explain to them why and show them an alternative. And then ultimately it's their picture they're going to use and it's their money paying for it. So if they happen to to say, no, let's stick with, with what they wanted, well, fine. But most of the time they, they take into consideration what, at least what I'm saying, and I think probably everybody on this group would say about adding in a different viewpoint. And the tethering and having the client on site really helps honestly mm -hmm. like i prefer to have the client on site because mm -hmm. there's there's no surprises at the end they're not like where did that shot come from and they're also part of the collaboration process so they can see like hey the shot that i had maybe it wasn't working maybe it wasn't you know lined up the way i thought it was and i like the fact too that they get worn out early and uh they let you do what you want <laughs> they realize I mean, it's also a a good Old point about, <laughs> about the scouting is that, you know, there's a whole team that designed whatever we're shooting that day. And they all have their own opinions about what should be shot. And so what I like about the scouting is you go, you scout, you shoot a bunch of quick snapshots and, uh, and those go back to the architecture team and then they can hash it all out mm -hmm. so that when day of shoot comes in the shot list or these, you know, X number of shots, it's managing expectations. The whole team knows what's already going to happen. And someone who might be upset about, you know, that their angle didn't get picked. Well, that's not, that's not on me or because, uh, you know, as, as I think it was Sterling just said, there are no surprises. 
And so that's another good reason for doing the scouting because you're managing expectations. By the time the shoot comes, everybody knows what's going to happen. If they're mad about something, they're mad about someone on their team. They're not mad at me. And Carl's point about taking the photos ahead of time, I put them into, I might shoot 30 or 40 and put them into a PDF and send mm -hmm. that to the client to say, mm -hmm. pick the ones that you want. You thought you wanted 10 shots, pick which 10. And, uh, and, and, and again, all those arguments are had offline uh, with the rest of the team. And, you know, okay, you pick those 10, I create the, a, P, a new PDF with just those 10, and that's what we use, the day of shoot. Uh, and, you know, we might pick, you know, add something to that or subtract one, but, you know, it's not rigid, but, uh, you know, we've got a pretty definite agreement on, on what we're going to walk away with. I, I uh, and one thing I do, I do exactly that. And one thing I do is, uh, since some of what we're shooting your zoom lens is, I'll go back to the metadata and I'll look at what the lens setting was for focal length. You know, because when you get there, you've got X, Y, and Z. How you know how close was I? How far was I? What was the lens setting? And uh, it just makes the shoot that much easier if I know that. Oh, this was forty-two millimeters. All right, let me set the lens to forty-two millimeters. Start reframing. Ah, I was roughly here. And then there's always refinement, but I just find that that step is helpful instead of getting there and going, well, okay, here's the shot, but was I closer wide in or was I further narrower? Mm -hmm. One of the um, one of the recent conversations I've had, I have this with a, um, a potential client in Texas. So the renderings are becoming really important to them and kind of showing that before and after. But, you know, from their side, like they also have control of like time of year, time of day with sort of lenses. And so the conversation that we're kind of having back and forth is to say, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't, you know, on the rendering, maybe we shouldn't have a 10, 10 millimeter lens on this and have a, like a wide angle. Like they're real, they're, you know, I think some of these firms are starting to kind of come around and, you know, they're trying to do it in a way that's kind of realistic, like, oh, there are trees and there are power lines, and this is not just a building that's, you know, that has, doesn't have any context to it from a rendering from point of view. Again, I think it depends on who you're working for, but I think a lot of these companies are starting to, you know, see that because when they're working with the photographer, it's just like, okay, well, this isn't possible and this isn't possible. And, um, you know, if that's something that they want, they have to, they have to start that from the beginning. That's an excellent point, and I, I've had clients doing both things, but when they give you a rendering, they say, I want to reproduce this exactly as it is because I want to go on my website from the rendering design and then the actual outcome. You know, that's one of the things that if you're, um, you know, you can be totally true to what they, their vision was and duplicate it yeah, right down to what the sky effect is now with the dropping skies and stuff, but um, it's so valuable to be able to have a conversation ahead of time with the client and be able to review in kind of a leisurely manner what the shots are that they want to go with. And just like Jack said, you know, give them, uh, give them some choices and then let them narrow it down. They're paying for a specific number of shots and you don't want to go in there like a machine gunner. You want to, sorry for that analogy, but you know, you don't want to go in and just shoot everything. You want to be very selective because, uh, as architectural photographers, I believe we're being paid to get the best shots we possibly can, but spend the time on the important ones, not just run around and grab every possible angle, because that's just going to be quantity versus quality and, mm -hmm. uh, and vision. So I know it's a little long winded, but that, I think we all understand that. 
Thanks. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that, Carl. One, one of the things that I find myself saying a lot is when, when there's some indecision about a shot or maybe some controversy within the company, um, I'll say, well, let me tell you, let me show you how I see this shot. And, um, and then I'll set it up the way I think it should be done. And so um, that, that kind of, you know, takes the pressure off and they're not, there's no confrontation there. It's just, this is another alternative. Uh, let me show you what I, I think might be uh, a good possibility. And that diffuses things, uh, especially if there's any tension between designers or architects or anybody else on site, which there might often be. Um, and, uh, and then there's also a level of trust when they figure out that you probably know what you're doing and, and you can, uh, you know, move on here and, and get great shots for them. Um, and that seems to work for me. The, the um, phrase that works for me a lot, excuse me, I'll just jump in here real short. phrase that works for me a lot is when they're deciding whether to do one shot or another or their shot or maybe one that I, I've come up with an alternate angle is, is I just say, does it add to your story? And that's a really good question because then they go, oh, this shot adds to my story because of this happening. Or most of the time they scratch their head and go, no, it doesn't add to the story. Let's not do this shot. So I've just found that particular way of framing the question to be really effective at getting them to kind of all of a sudden make a snap judgment as to you know what what shot we're going to do or not do or what angle. Let me just throw this out. Do you ever do anything that you really think is a bad shot just to please the client? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's, who's we are for check? profit businesses, though. <laughs> but I will take, you know, if I lose a battle, and sometimes I do, and, you know, the thing is, it, when you're integrating people within your shots, this is when it really kind of hurts the client. Um, you know, when I lose those and, you know, we, we put the people in the shot, I will go ahead and take the shot, you know, that I wanted to take. Like, after I'll, I have my assist, I'm like, okay, we're going to go ahead and take the shot that I wanted to take. Three quarters of the time, they like that shot better. And then the marketing person are like, where's the people? I'm like, y'all left. Like, I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. But, you know, I, you know, it's one of those help me help you situations. Um, you know, you try to, you know, be there for the client. And, you know, I like to give them all the, the alternative if I can. You know, that brings up an interesting point because I, I find that for me, the hardest thing um, I'm doing these days is, the shots where either you know, an interior designer or an architect insists on having a bunch of people in a shot and um, you know, most especially a blurry figure coming down a staircase or something like that. I find myself pushing back a little bit on that as to, as to whether or not we're talking about architecture or lifestyle. And is that really the story we're telling is, you know, how it's filled up with people or, do we really want to talk about the architecture? Because I know if it goes to editorial usage, that the magazine is likely going to shoot, is likely going to pick the shots that are more architectural. I'll throw that out there. I don't, I don't know how anybody else handles it, but I'm not handling it well. <laughs> Alan, uh, Alan, this is Thomas. Hi. Um, I've, I've been from my biggest architect client, I've been getting recent requests for people to be in the photos. I think their claim is that competitively, their competitors are showing people 
using the spaces that they've designed. That's what they said to me. So that's a whole different level because I've got to get model releases and all the stuff that you have to do when people are in it. And uh, we, we had a shoot um, to elementary schools and try to corral fifth graders and get model release forms for fifth graders from their parents and the superintendent of school. I mean, it's a nightmare. But anyway, we had a successful shoot on two schools, but it was the first time he was pushing me to get people in it. And it's because their competitors are putting people and they don't want to Photoshop them in. They want real people. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just want to throw that out, how other people are dealing with this people issue, because I'm afraid they're going to want it more and more, um, especially in certain types of spaces. I think it depends maybe on like what the story is, right? Like, is the story the functionality of the space? I mean, like we can photograph architecture, but it matters, I think, in a higher sense um, for what was the purpose? Why did you even design this to begin with? Like, are people going to be using this space? And a lot of times their clients, I think, are asking um, to see how the space is used. And that's, I mean, that's what I'm hearing from a lot of my clients who want to include people anytime we're, you know, shifting, um, you know, inside office spaces from one thing to another thing. We want to show how people are there. If we're putting people um, just to show like the scope and the scale of a building or certain elements that are there that might be hard to um, understand otherwise. Like that's, that's kind of what I'm hearing, especially from a story aspect, if that's kind of our goal for today. So, um, so... I um I have a book here. It's called uh it's hundred years of architectural drawing. And so I don't know if you can like see this here. Um, hold on. There we go. So it's an, it's a perspective and it's got people on it. And so like so I went to architecture school. And so the very first studio that I had, we did a perspective, and like he would give you a C if you did not put a person in it. Like it's a really important part of representation in architecture, period. And so what's happened is when we were, when, you know, so when I went to school, it was all pencil, right? So you put one person in there and, you know, Luke Corbusier has this little famous, you know, kind of uh, figure in, in all of his drawings. But what happened was in Photoshop and rendering, all of a sudden, now you can put two people and three people. Now all these renderings are filled with people. And so what's happening now is they're looking at the renderings and then they're looking at the photography and they're seeing just a dramatic difference. And so that's kind of why this is all happening. And I, I honestly, I don't see it changing really. Like, I think this is, this is permanent. Well, the, um, back to the, the, the point of uh, asking the client what they're trying to achieve. In some cases you, you know, they'll say, I want a people in the shot. And I'll say, if we put the person where you want it, this is gonna be a, a lifestyle photo. This mm -hmm. is gonna be a photo about the person. But if we put the person here, it's going to be about the architecture or the design, but yeah. they'll see scale, they'll see use, and I'll tend to put the person way the hell in the back, uh, you know, so that they're small, not right up front where it looks like a portrait of a person with a building behind them. Um, so it, it again, yeah, and I'll show them on the iPad. Okay, look at it this way, look at it that way, and you know which one is accomplishing what you're trying to do. So it's educating them as to what will be the effect of having the person in the place that they thought was a good idea. And sometimes they want lifestyle. 
I mean, I had a shoot with a, with a top five firm. They're trying to get into urgent care centers. And it was less about the architecture of the urgent care and more about the actual healthcare in and of itself. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes the story really isn't about the architecture. I, I shoot both with and without people. I'm charging for it. So, it, you know, it, it just, it's a, another profit center. But even architects, they, you know, they, an awards submission, they might want to use the non-people shot and uh, marketing, they might want to use the four people shot. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I will say that, yeah, years ago, decades ago, it was like never put a person in a shot, which I always thought was kind of funny since architecture is designed for people to use it. But now it is put a whole busload of people in there, which I think has gone too far in the other direction. The, the problem I have is that most of the time, you know, if we're doing an interior, we're probably shooting somewhat wide angle or a crazy wide angle. And you really have to watch people placement. You know, you put people on the edge of an image over here, they're gonna be really big and distorted and you put them right in the middle, they're gonna look way far away and too small. So there's that sort of that Goldilocks zone of where you can where you can put people and also just think about the people they supply, the models they supply are usually it's their own employees, you know, you might have some people that are taller, some people that are shorter. So I I think that people placement is really important. It's not just, you know, oh, put someone in that chair. You got to think about where that chair is. And if it's if it's a low wide chair way in the corner of the frame, you don't want to put a person there. Excellent point. And for me, just to circle back, that's I'm I approach it from um the perspective of uh, each of those people being a compositional element. And um, I think that speaks more to what Sterling was talking about, why they were used in architectural drawing anyway. But uh, I use them as a compositional element and either it works or it doesn't work. And it's not about, you know, anybody's feelings. It's just about the composition of the photograph. But let me ask you this. Do you cast models? Do you uh, rely on your clients to do that? Do you charge for that? How does that work? So one idea I'd like to throw out that I've used, uh, depending on the project, and, and I've seen the same trend with people like all of us. Um, I actually think it's for the right project. It's it adds an enormous amount to the project and brings projects to life. Um, and nowadays, honestly, with digital, it's I think it's really easy for us to build images with people exactly where we want them without directing them by just being patient and letting, if it's a highly populated area, you know, I might have 10 different exposures or files with people in different places. And I might present to the client four different options of, uh, do you like that person there? Do you like that person there? And they're all spaces where I envisioned to, like Alan, you said, a compositional element and they tell different stories, you know, do you want a more lifestyle? Do you want, but it's, it's options. But um, what I have found, somebody mentioned about getting releases and that to me is a total pain, um, especially if you're in a environment where there's a lot of people. So um, I will usually, if it's a public project, and this goes back to my day in school as photojournalism class, if it's a public space, my understanding is it's fair game. Um, so like public park, um, uh, I had a recent project down along coastal beach and there were people all over the place. So that's fair game. I, I I'm not looking to take a portrait of anyone anyways. Um, but I have had it in situations, uh, schools, um, more university level, um, some different museums where they, the client 
worked with the owner and they posted signs that said photography is occurring today. And and it's basically, it's kind of a, they're using that as the release. Like, hey, if you don't want to be in the photo, you see the cameraman, they're taking photos, step away. You know, otherwise you're fair game. Um, that has worked and it has saved an enormous number of headaches and time. Um, again, I'm not taking portraits of people. You know, I'm using them as compositional elements within an architectural shot. Yeah, I've, I've photographed some schools where specifically they'll have, um, when kids come in, they'll ask them already. Like sometimes we do pictures in our buildings. If you don't want your child to be in any pictures, let us know and you can sign this opt-out form. And then when we have photo shoots, we know, okay, well, we're going to photograph this classroom, that kid's in there, we'll make sure to avoid them or we'll have take them out or something. And everybody else is fine. There's not going to be any complications because the school has already talked with the parents and everybody to say, um, you know, if you have a problem, let us know. And if you don't, then we're going to photograph them. I've, I've even had schools where they know in advance who those kids are and they had a, like a bracelet on. So, you know, they're, they're, you know, off limits. Mm-hmm. But I always try to put, I try to put that process of permission and all that, to be honest, is, I throw that, I push that back on the client and the owner because I, I want to focus on photography. That's, yeah, that's what I, I'm there to do. So I, there, are, there are ways to do that. I think you just have to be upfront and say, this is what I can do. And this is what you can do. And here's a way you could do it to make it even, easy, even easier on your end. And that, that's I what have I a question. Do. Go ahead, sir. No, I was just saying, that's what I do. I, the architect handled all of that and it took them a while to do it. And I said, we can't shoot until I have, I know that the models you want to provide have the releases signed by their parents and and the whole deal. So I push it back on them also. I, I don't want to get in the middle of trying to collect that data. And I make sure that my company is named as one of the participants of, uh, of the release, mm. in addition to the architect. Good point. What do you do from a legal standpoint if you've got multiple parties and so they've all put the responsibility for the model releases on the photographer because there's no one party that's kind of there may be a lead but they don't want that job so for example when i've shot schools we've had um the model release goes home specifically named gets signed and then those those are the only students that we photograph or if it's a case where we we do the photography and then each of the kids takes the model release and gets that signed or the uh, principal in one case um, took that responsibility to get all those approved. And we made sure after the fact that anybody that didn't have a signed model release got blurred out or, or what have you. It's a real headache now and schools are so strict. I mean, I've been doing this 43 years and then many, many years ago, they were all thrilled to be in pictures. And now everybody's so conscious of litigation that the schools are like, you can't even tour the school until after 4 p.m. or after their school, the students are out of the building. I mean, they're so restrictive and it's gotten a little bit looser in the last six months or a year, but there has been times when they literally will not let you in the building, school building until after the students have left. And then as far as photography, if you've got minors in the shots, you really got to be careful, I think. Um, especially schools and those kinds of circumstances, because they, somebody can't just say, Hey, yeah, I have no problem with, uh, you know, you taking my picture, even if you're in a public space, I think it's, I'm not a lawyer, but I think that's something that we have to be cognizant of because technically 
putting something on a website is a commercial use. It's not editorial. And even if you have no expectation of privacy, you are, if you're appearing and you're recognizable in the shot, you are um, kind of promoting a business. And so that's considered commercial use. And those people have the right to, to say yes or no. Well, so, I, I believe, they, I believe. They you absolutely, if you're in a public space, you absolutely have no right to privacy. It doesn't no, matter. No, I understand that. Yeah, but for commercial use, I think I do think you're correct. I, I, I do cover myself in those cases. So for with schools, for example, like we run into those situations. So a lot of times the architect will actually purchase the photos for the schools. And a lot of these schools, they have universal releases, essentially. Like, hey, if we have a shoot at the school, it's, it's this and that. You can opt out or whatever. And so a lot of times we'll just go under the cover of the school and the school will actually get a license for those photographs. Um, in a case of like a museum, kind of similar to what Chipper was saying, you know, uh, they'll put a sign up and they say, hey, if you buy a ticket, like we, we've got a photographer here, you know, kind of sign off on that. But, you know, as the copyright owner, it is my responsibility to kind of handle all of that. So like, I don't have the time to do the model release, but my assistant will do it, right? So if we get someone like Helga or he or she, like they'll go get that person and sign off on it. With universities, it's really easy because these kids are, they, they see an adult, they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Well, they'll just sign off on it. And I have an iPad with that has an electronic model release. They, they, they know how to use those things. They just kind of sign off on it. So, you know, we try to make it as seamless as possible. Well, when I when I show up on site and on especially at, at uh, elementary and middle schools, uh, I don't start to shoot with the models that they picked until I have a copy with my name listed on it up from the principal saying that I'm uh, I have the ability to shoot these kids and I'm not. I'm just not going to shoot it uh, or provide them the image until I have that in my hands. And it's worked out pretty good. I just don't, I, uh, I don't like the liability aspect of not having that. You never ever know who's going to just complain or make an issue of it. Even those universal releases are great, but I just want my name on the dotted line along with the architect and um, protecting my company. And, and I just think that's, that's the smart thing to do. I know it's more difficult to get that, but mm -hmm. it works out for liability purpose. And a quick question, uh, sorry, Alan, but does anybody have a source for um, like images of people in various situations that can be actually photoshopped into a, into a, a, a space or a building or an exterior or something if that's asked for after the fact? Um, I know. Yeah, there's a couple of websites topic. out there. I, I had to recently, um, I was working with a firm out of California. And they requested that. So I had to start doing some research with my editor. Um, there is a website called Mr. Cutout. And there's a couple of other websites as well. But like, if you Google like images, like it, I was surprised. It's much more common than you would think. Like there's all sorts of like YouTube channels and whatever. Like there's probably about a good five or six resources. Some of them are free. Some of them are paid. And um, I think that's also something that's not, especially with AI coming up. Like I think that's also something that's not going away anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thank you. Um, let, let's jump here just for a second um, before we get to the top of the hour on this. Uh, let me ask you, as far as you just going in and your own eye and your own aesthetic, uh, 
mm-hmm. you go into a space, is, is there something that you, is there a process that goes on in your mind or um, through your eyes uh, in, in figuring out where you start and what the, what the shot is and, you know, where, where you begin to create a photograph from. I'm just wondering, because um, this is something I get asked all the time when I have an assistant or I have somebody working with me is, how do you know to set up there? Or how do you know to uh, put that lens on? I get that all the time. And I'm wondering, and I don't know. I don't know what the, that process is necessarily, and I'm not sure I could articulate it. But is there a process you go through to... Uh, to kind of assess a space and and uh, know where to begin. Any thoughts on that? Well, when when I was first starting out, I had a thought process, but unusually, I just feel it. I've been doing it for forty five years, and I look at a room, and the angles and everything just come together for me. So, I don't think I have a a process per se, but. Um, it just happens. I look and I scout the scene and I said, that's it. Uh, other than the ones they want me to shoot. Um, I look for the most creative angles that reflect what they want to see in the photos. So I, I don't have, I don't know what to call it, but it's, uh, I'm sure many of you have the same, you know, you've been doing it so long. It just comes to you. I hope. Yeah. I think there's an artistic intuition that we develop, but there's a couple of things that I've thought of uh, that, that might inform that intuition. And that's, that's just looking at photographs, um, looking at good architectural photographs. One of the things that I see with a lot of younger photographers is they don't have the vocabulary of the history of architectural photography. They don't really know who has done good work, who's doing good work now and what, what good work really looks like. And so if you bring up Ezra Stoller to somebody, likely is that they won't have any idea who that is or, uh, you know, uh, Shulman or anybody like that. They, they won't understand that. Um, and they haven't seen their work. And so for me, uh, the, the one thing that I recommend to people first getting into this is to just look at a lot of good architectural photography, published architectural photography. Now, there's a lot of bad out there, too, in editorial publications, but I think that there's um, a lot of good work to look at, especially historically, as to how people approached it when they had to get it all on one sheet of film and those kinds of things, that there was a, a method there that took a lot more technical expertise than perhaps we require of ourselves now with digital formats. Uh, anybody else have thoughts on on that subject? Yeah, and Alan, I think I think you're right because recently I was invited to speak at a local amateur camera club on architectural photography, and whenever I do those seminars, I always bring five to ten books with me so that they can see exactly what you're saying. Here are examples. You need to go out. You need to look at books and publications like this so that you understand composition and the lighting and what professionals are doing out there. And I can tell you at the end of the meeting, 20 to, I had 65 people in that meeting and about 30 of them came up and were taking pictures of the books. And so that starts and educates the process for these 
you know, they're just amateurs, but they were interested in the subject. And I figured if you're going to start, you better start with uh, the people that are out there doing the the great work. So that's interesting. I, you know, I've got, a, I'm looking here at, I've got a couple of Hedrick blessing photographs um, from the 1930s here on my wall behind my desk. And, um, and then I've, well, Sterling will appreciate this. I, I have a, I have a Frank Lloyd Wright rendering of falling water mm. above my desk that I just acquired. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I know what that looks like. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So um, those are, those are there just for inspiration. Um, um, as well as, you know, I've got a couple Ansel Adams here as well, but um, uh, it's just the inspiration and how to, you know, Growing up, if I didn't have those things in my head, I don't think I would have been steered into architecture, um, knowing yeah. knowing that kind of work. And so, that was really important. And and it, it 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 tends to help me when I see something when I'm walking through a space. I do a walkthrough first of all, um, whether I've been there or not before. I walk it just as a refresher, and and then. It, it, somehow in my mind i have an idea of where i where i want to start shooting and and why and a lot of it goes back to i'm sure in the back of my mind is somebody else's photograph that maybe fits you know the composition or the the time of day or something like that and kind of informs what i think i want to do and and maybe it's not i'm not trying to replicate anything or be derivative but um, it does help me create a better photograph. Uh, thoughts on that? Anything? Anybody? Yeah, I mean, I think in going back to kind of that initial question too, like you know, how, where do you start? You know, and I and I think the more experience you have, there, there's just kind of a a vibe or an innate direction that you're going to go. Um, I, I think the key thing, at least what I'm often looking at, is it's based on light. You know, which is the basis of everything we're doing, you know, so if I walk to a space and I might see a, a view, I'm like, well, that's going to be cool in a few hours, maybe, you know, as the light moves around and pulls out texture, you know, I think those are things that we probably, um, depending where we are in our career, there's a point where it's all kind of being calculated subconsciously. Um, versus when we're first starting and we're like consciously making those assessments as we, as we, walk a space but um i think also there's kind of a, a point where you we talk about like telling a story but there's also kind of trying to create a connection to a project that um maybe that's getting a little uh i don't read horoscopes i swear or anything like that but maybe that's getting a little out there but i mean i think the more you connect to a project and building and what how it's used and all that i think the the better the images become because you're you become kind of creatively emotionally uh attached and and, and all in on that and then I, I mean just to be honest there's times where i've walked to a project i'm like oh man the brain is just not working today i'm not feeling it and i'm like well that's that's low-hanging fruit i'll start with that just to kind of get the ball rolling and sometimes that's all you need you know you basketball playoffs right now they say right some guys just need to see one ball go through the hoop and then they get on track sometimes we need that sometimes you walk in and you're feeling it right from the start but sometimes you gotta you gotta ease into things sometimes and that's just being real i think being honest i appreciate uh, that i, I, like I think that. that's really I mean, insightful i mean yeah. i think you know i think architecture photography is very um 
personal. I mean, it's, I, I think it's similar, honestly, to shooting portraits. I mean, we're shooting portraits of buildings. All these buildings have different everything. I mean, styles and, you know, the light hits it in a different way. They have different moods. They have different connection to the people who are using it. You know, and I think, you know, our task is to, you know, to to find that joy in it. I mean, even if it's an industrial warehouse building and just pull that out. I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I love what Chipper has said. Like, sometimes you just, you know, you need, maybe need an extra dose of coffee or something, but you find that one thing and then you kind of get that ball rolling. I love that analogy. I, I don't, uh, I don't ever shoot the hero shot first. You know, I got to get warmed up first. And even if it's just walking around the building and doing the four corners first, you know, save the hero shot for when you get warmed up. Yeah, the thing I find, I find too is that I, I, it seems like some buildings, there's certain aspects of them that kind of reveal themselves once you've been in that building for a while. And you, you start to, you start to see what the architect did and, and why they did it uh, visually. Um, it may not have anything to do with structure or uh, anything, you know, purposeful other than an aesthetic. And it sometimes it takes a while to actually be able to observe those things and understand those things. And 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 like David said, those that probably doesn't happen as the first shot. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta you gotta earn that type of relationship with the project, right? Um, I mean, I, I some of you probably have been situations where you're sitting there going, oh, the weather, I'm gonna get skunked here, you know, the, the dusk shot or whatever is not gonna happen. And we've probably some of us probably done it where we're like, oh be an earlier night than I planned, you know, great. But man, sometimes if you hang around, again, I think if you build up that kind of connection with the project stuff happens <laughs> and I, and you can't explain it all the time. And I, and I'm pretty sure we've all probably encountered that where, man, the, the sky changed and you, you went, Oh, wow. You know, why'd that happen for me today? You know, yeah. I, no answer. Right. Or you're, you're, you're like, God, I'd love a person right there. And that person appears, you know, stuff happens sometimes. I think, I think there's, I think we can kind of, Sometimes we can will things, you know, the desire to, yeah, just right there. Um, sometimes it happens, doesn't always, but um, I think you put in the time and and the work and try to kind of connect and things happen. Yeah, I get the flow. Visualization is really important. And I mean, I, I agree, like, you know, when you're starting out, like you're really thinking about that visualization. But I think, you know, with time and experience, you know, you walk into the space, you're like, okay, well, at twilight, I already know what this is going to look like, or, you know, just 15 minutes beforehand, I know it's going to be completely, you know, different, you know, I, I just think that kind of, kind of comes with experience. I think with, and I, I, you know, I've kind of spoken with Alan about this. I think part of it is because people are more in tune with the idea of buildings as photography. I think that's happened through real estate photography. Um, I think with the collapse of the wedding and portrait industry, people who want to become photographers, real estate is the lowest hanging fruit. And so I think a lot of people are conflating real estate and architecture because it's the same subject matter, but they're completely different games. You know, it's like chess and checkers. It's the same board, two different games, you know? And so I think, I think over time people will learn the difference, you know, but I think what's happening is because there's a sameness in the real estate photography, you have to shoot this way, the clients are expecting it. The photographers are expecting it. And with the architecture, I mean, I'm sure every single one of us has this very different style of 
how we do things, you know, um, and that's critical. That's why they hire us. I was, we were talking about the survey visit earlier and, you know, somehow you get taken around a space in a certain direction. And what I like to do is then go back around it the other way, because no matter what I'm seeing from a survey standpoint, even if I look behind myself, you see the space completely differently if you if you go walk through it in a different direction. So I've just found that to be a real source of inspiration because uh, you're, a lot of times you're being led through by the architect or the marketing person and they have certain you know places they want you to see. And doing that reverse view is always sort of an eye-opener for me. And again, I got to go. Good seeing everybody. Thanks for the meeting. Thanks, Chris. Take care. One of the things for me is that you know, people have said they hire me because of the look, the things that I notice. So uh, for me, it's like, what catches my eye? And I know that it's it's light and the contrast caused by light. I know it's color and the contrast caused by color. Um, leading lines, uh, you know, the symmetry. There are things that as I'm, I'm on a hike and I'm walking through the woods and, and the sun will peek out and light up a tree and it'll be like, wow. And, and the fact that that caught my eye and something didn't, that's what I'm going to shoot. Um, and, and either a client likes that or they don't. Um, you know, I'll shoot the things that they want, but I'll also shoot what caught my eye for some reason. And, and I can't explain what it is, but it, it was interesting to me. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I want to capture it and, and share it. Brian, let's get back to you. He <laughs> had a moment. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we missed you there. Oh, no problem. It is great to see everybody again. I, I missed the last one, and thanks as always, Alan, for uh, putting this together. It's always uh, great to have these wonderful, varied perspectives. From the get-go of this conversation, it was, you know, how do you tell the story? What is the story? How do you capture the vision of the architect? And I, I immediately went back to one of my very first uh, uh, education uh, photo sessions from uh, from school, where uh, my uh, my photographer, um, teacher, mentor, uh, who I'm still in great contact with today, he said, "You know, let let a portion of the." picture speak for the entire thing now uh i should say you know the the first analogy used was uh the difference of a um a real estate photographer versus a, a a finely tuned uh professional architectural photographer the real estate photographer jumps in the corner with the widest lens he owns and you shoot every room that way so I think that, uh, and then, you know, later in years, I, I heard from another very seasoned professional that, you know, the power of being able to relate to a perspective, meaning how wide the shot is and where it's shot from, the perspective of where it's shot from, that's why we call the 50 or 55 the normal lens it takes in not all the peripheral but it really hones in and it's not necessarily a zoom look either but it it was profound whoever is seeing these pictures uh can more or most easily relate to a normal normal perspective 
than they can to something way wide or way telephoto. Not, I'm not saying that that's the way I always shoot or that's what you should do, but the more really seasoned, uh, higher end work that I see is not wide. I mean, it can be for obviously for effect, for uh, symmetry, for, you know, one point perspectives and impressions. And, you know, if you want to use the analogy of a book, you know, we a book is told in in uh, in chapters, not one whole book. So you need an establishing shot. You know, you need the wide angle to show the whole project or you need something that stepped back so you can get a context of where the building is and what its surroundings are. So I'm not saying don't do it, uh, but I am saying the chapters of the book are more specific that help uh, narrow your scope and convey the feel of the space without showing so wide. Let a portion of it tell the bigger story. And I always found that that's a great thing to keep in mind when I'm scouting and shooting. That's it. Probably doesn't make much sense, but <laughs> it makes total sense. <laughs> Thank, it does. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. Um, we're going to wrap up here. This has been a great discussion. I appreciate everybody jumping in on this uh, Zoom call. And um, thanks for your comments. This has been really informative. I know that this will be really valuable to those in the group that listen to it, as well as those in the general public that are going to see this or listen to this on podcasts and just wanted to put in a plug that we're now the number one podcast in Asia for whatever that means. This has been another episode of a photographer's life. If you've enjoyed this program, please let us know by liking this episode and subscribing to this channel. A Photographer's Life is brought to you by the Association of Independent Architectural Photographers. This episode is copyrighted, and may not be used in full or in part, without the written permission of the AIAP. Please join us again soon for another inside look at the world of professional architectural photography.